This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The Bank of England said it would start buying long-dated government bonds in a bid to calm markets and protect pension funds. The bank warned of a material risk to UK financial stability if chaos in the bond market continued. Trouble began after Kwasi Kwarteng, the chancellor, announced a new fiscal policy on Friday, which triggered a collapse in value of sterling, now around $1.06. Earlier, the IMF urged Britain's leaders to re-evaluate the measures, which include £45 billion, $48 billion, of debt-funded tax cuts. The dollar continued to run riot around the world, hitting 20-year highs against a group of major currencies on Wednesday. The euro sank further beneath parity to 96 cents, and China's offshore yuan plumbed an all-time low at less than 7.2 per buck, or 12% cheaper than it started the year. The yuan's decline caused slumps in other Asian countries' currencies, such as the South Korean won. Hurricane Ian intensified, and its winds reached 155 miles per hour, just two miles per hour away from Category 5 strength, the most powerful for a storm, as it swept towards America's mainland. Just four Category 5 hurricanes have hit mainland America in records dating back to 1851. Earlier, Cuba's entire population of 11 million was plunged into a blackout after Hurricane Ian swept through, devastating its power grid and forcing 50,000 people to flee their homes. The EU said leaks from Nord Stream 1 and 2, major gas pipelines under the Baltic Sea, were caused by sabotage, but stopped short of blaming Russia. Ursula von der Leyen, head of the European Commission, said deliberate disruption would receive the strongest possible response. Ms. von der Leyen also proposed a new set of sanctions on Russia, including an oil price cap. Officials in four Russian-controlled parts of Ukraine that held sham referendums claimed that residents voted overwhelmingly to be annexed by Russia ahead of the formal results. In response, American officials said that they were preparing fresh military aid for Ukraine worth $1.1 billion. Multiple countries, including Serbia, which has close ties with Moscow, said they would not recognize the referendum's results. Two firms developing an experimental Alzheimer's drug published the results of a large clinical trial which shows it to have slowed down patients' cognitive decline. Biogen and ASI announced that their new medicine had reduced the disease's progression by 27% compared with a placebo. Previous attempts to treat Alzheimer's with drugs have been beset by high-profile failures. SATS, a Singapore-based air freight and passenger services firm, agreed a $2.1 billion deal to buy Worldwide Flight Services, the world's biggest air cargo handler. 
The resumption of international travel as COVID restrictions have eased has prompted a number of similar deals which bet on demand for logistics services rising. And fact of the day, 60%. The share of the Middle East's GDP made up by the booming Gulf states, the highest percentage since 1981. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. What drives the world's most powerful person? In just over two weeks, the Chinese Communist Party will hold its party congress, the most important event in China's political calendar. Xi Jinping will almost certainly be granted a third five-year term as leader, an event unprecedented since the long reign of Mao Zedong ended in 1976. Over his ten years in charge, Mr. Xi has shattered decades of cautious collective leadership and hoarded enormous personal power. Chinese officials argue he needs it to guide the country through global turmoil and turn it into a superpower. Many ordinary Chinese agree. The Prince, our first long-form podcast series, tells the story of Mr. Xi's life, including his traumatic childhood. It is a tale of power in China, how it is won, how it is wielded, and how far some have fallen when it is taken away. A Genocide Suspect Faces Trial On Thursday, Felicien Kabuga will go on trial in The Hague, at a special court set up by the UN in the aftermath of the bloodshed in Rwanda in 1994. The octogenarian faces charges of genocide and crimes against humanity. He has previously pled not guilty and is likely to do so again. One of Rwanda's richest men, Mr. Kabuga is alleged to have bankrolled ethnic Hutu extremists during the genocide, in which up to 800,000 Rwandans were murdered, mainly of the ethnic Tutsi group. An ally of Rwanda's then-ruling party, Mr. Kabuga stands accused of creating, supplying, and arming the Interahamwe, a Hutu militia responsible for most of the killing. He also helped found Radio Mil Colin, a radio station that spouted murderous anti-Tutsi propaganda. After the genocide, Mr. Kabuga became one of the world's most wanted men. He was finally arrested in Paris in May 2020. There are many questions about how he managed to evade capture for so long. But now, finally, prosecutors have their man exactly where they want him. Voting on the Future of the Internet The International Telecommunication Union will elect its next Secretary General on Thursday at its quadrennial conference. In a throwback to the Cold War, the vote pits an American against a Russian. Doreen Bogdan-Martin, one of the ITU's three directors, takes on Rashid Ismailov, a telecoms executive who was once Russia's deputy minister of telecoms. Even at this late stage, the vote looks too close to call. Some see the election as a vote on the future of the digital realm. If Miss Bogdan-Martin wins, 
it will be a sign that most of the ITU's 193-member countries would prefer the Internet to remain a freewheeling, decentralized global network of networks, governed mostly by consensus, where all interested parties have at least some say. If Mr. Ismailov prevails, it would mean that the world prefers a model that Russia, but also China, have been pushing for. One that looks more like a telephone system of old, a centralized edifice controlled largely by national governments. Porsche's Luxury IPO Not every petrol head can afford a Porsche, but the initial public offering of the German luxury car maker on Thursday could give fans a chance to own a small share in the company. In a nod to Porsche's most iconic model, its current owner, Volkswagen Group, will sell 911 million shares at up to 82.5 euros or $80 each although only 114 million, with no voting rights, will be sold to the public and big investors. The rest will be held by Volkswagen, and Volkswagen's largest shareholders, the familial descendants of Porsche's founders. The IPO therefore values the most profitable part of Volkswagen at 75 billion euros, making it one of the world's biggest car makers by market capitalization. The cash raised will help to pay for Volkswagen's transition to electrification. But if Porsche is to reap the benefits of its tie-up with Volkswagen, the erstwhile parent must get a grip on Karyat, its in-house software unit. Problems there have already forced Porsche to postpone the launch of one new model, its e-Macan, a small SUV. Not the sort of snafu that Porsche is used to. End of an Era for FIFA Electronic Arts, an American company, releases FIFA 23 this week, the latest edition of its hugely popular football video game. Having sold more than 325 million copies since its inception in 1992, every FIFA release is an eagerly anticipated event in the gaming calendar. This one, however, is particularly poignant. It marks the end of a successful collaboration between EA and FIFA, football's governing body. FIFA earns an estimated $150 million every year for lending its name to the series. It now hopes to rake in more through new games developed with other studios. Some fans will welcome the shakeup. Recent editions of FIFA have been criticized for merely repackaging it without any meaningful changes to gameplay or features. The introduction of in-game purchases has been controversial too, as gaming purists consider a pay-to-win model inherently unfair. Such controversies prompted another developer, Strikers Inc., to enter the market on its own. Through Ultimate Football League, which launches in 2023, Strikers promises to deliver a so-called fair-to-play experience, meaning it rewards gamers for their skill rather than their money. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, 
tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which town in Maryland shares its name with an American comedian? Wednesday. Which American comedian replaced Johnny Carson as host of The Tonight Show in 1992? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Emile Zola, who died on this day in 1902. Nothing develops intelligence like travel. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.